0: Gaming and BS episode 101, sponsored by GameholeCon, a gaming convention coming to Madison, Wisconsin in November. Get your ass to GameholeCon. Go to GameholeCon.com and register to show up. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be there. Enough said. Welcome in to Gaming NBS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Good to have you here. How are you, Sean?
0: I'm exhausted getting over that episode 100 mark. (laughs)
1: That was a little... That was kind of trying, but we did it. (laughs) Between that and having to push start your bike, probably (sighs) just dead tired.
0: (laughs) Motorcycle problems. Dude, it is weird because... um, I mean, I ride my th- I ride my bike every day, unless I know it's going to rain like a high percentage of rain, and getting in a car to ride to work just irritates me.
1: Yeah, it's not that fun. I've got decent weather ahead of me, hopefully this week. So I plan to uh, I'm going to be biking every day this week, hopefully.
0: Well, that's great, man.
1: Just kind of rubbed that in your face there a little bit. Well,
0: and the thing is, you, it's funny. I, when I, when we work together, I'm 10 miles away and I would ride my bike to work. You are an hour away. Yeah. And, and, and I would have loved, I mean, that's kind of like if I had a motorcycle, I would want to live farther away.
1: Well, part of it is uh, for driving to work now, they have relaxed the dress code at the office so I can wear
0: jeans to work.
1: So I don't know. Whatever, have to bring, hey, whatever
0: it takes to retain people. <clears throat> exactly. Whatever, whatever it takes.
1: Whatever it takes to keep them here. But I don't need to uh, bring a complete change of clothing because normally you would get there. It would be like 90, 100 degrees and humid and sweating my you-know-what's off. Not so comfy on the bike sometimes. But anyhow, no one cares about that. Let's talk gaming, man. Yeah. Let's we, do it.
0: We really should. We should. All right, announcements.
1: Um, quick one. I want to pimp this one again. Evercon.org. Uh, we need people to run games for us. Come out, to our, uh, come out to our con this next January. Run some games for us. Check us out Evercon.org. Absolutely. Shia, thank you, sir. But let's get people out there. Let's get some games running. Um, if we're lucky, we've got listeners out there who might be able to come in from a distance. I was, uh, might try to sweet talk Mr. Snezak or somebody like that to come out. I don't know if that'll be possible, but, uh, if we can get people to come out, you I know, mean, we got Ken Heights showing up, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll get out there and run some games for us. Thank you. Is that Sean, you got, you got I, anything?
0: I don't have anything off the top of my head. Excellent. Uh, let's get into a random encounter. Let's go at it. Random encounter segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media, from you. Uh, Brett, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? What do you want to start?
1: I can read this one. You know, we are so like mach- machine-like right now. It's like episode 100 was like a, a click, and now we're in uh, we're in like high gear or something. This sounds good. I like this. I, can't, I don't know. I can't wow. Know.
0: Okay. Well. Hey.
1: Great. Hey, anyway, that's great, Brett. Thanks. Okay. Weird. Weird side. <laughs> All right. Gabe emails us. Hello, gents. Episode, Excellent episode 100. And consider, consider your admission uh, that community feedback makes it worth it for you. This podcasting endeavor is blatant <laughs> invitation for lengthy missives like this one. See if you can get through that sentence out, out loud. I cannot. Apparently. Good God, Gabe, you've got me tongue tied here. Anyhow, <sighs> Gabe continues. Again, yours is the best of the RPG cast that I know of. Not only because you stay on topic, but because your conversations feel so inclusive. When I listen to you, my own thoughts and experiences seem to become part of your discussion, so I will share. I'm a gamer because I'm a writer. Ever since discovering Tolkien, I have considered my, uh, my purpose in life to be, uh, to be to compose a work of genius similar to his. But about 30 years later, I have not yet attained that goal. For the most part, traditional writing is a solitary activity, but gaming provides welcome socialization and collaboration, as you guys aptly have pointed out in previous episodes. And we indeed are in the golden age of gaming. Whereas in the late 80s and early 90s, for me, my stories of GM were frittered away to an audience of three or four, these days I have the opportunity to blog about them to potentially larger audiences. I do this at towerofthevalkyrie.wordpress.com, and I would love to discover similar blogs, (coughs) Excuse me, perhaps from other listeners. I also enjoy hearing what others are doing in their games. I have tried listening to actual plays but have been turned off by the ubiquity of expletives and overall prepubescent humor. Don't take this in any way, a comment of the use of language <laughs> in your own show. <laughs> Woo, I was wow. about to feel really bad there. Me too. Um, what turns me off is foul language for its own sake. The, hey, look at me, I'm swearing use. Sean, you and I talked about that a while back in an episode. Again, I don't recall which one, but you know the drill, one and forward. Um, your own use is natural and appropriate. And keeping up with actual plays are such a commitment. I guess I really, um, I'm really looking for GM campaign journals, perhaps with some post-game analyses published online like mine. Uh, like Sean, a move caused me to give up role playing for many years. But I think I was also moving away from it in preference for explore, exploring more "quote unquote" traditional forms of counterculture. After those years passed, I remained outside of the hobby because I thought the creative energies required for role playing should be wholly committed to reading literature. I've since learned, of course, that the pursuits need not be mutually exclusive. What's more, I've come to believe that being an attentive and entertaining GM is something uh, something of a community service. What do I mean? I can't remember the specifics, but you guys pointed out how few GMs you know in comparison to the number of players. Excuse me. You also pointed out how difficult it is to find a GM with the dedication and attention span. When I was in grad school almost 10 years ago, I began to think seriously about this disparity. I began to think of small communities. I began to believe that, unable to produce any publishable material for the greater world, that I should at least be using my gifts closer to home at the gaming table. I shared this consideration with a valued writing professor of mine, and what he wrote back to me in one of my papers really rattled me for a time. He, liked gamers, uh, he likened gamers to lotus eaters or opium smokers who, as he, put it, as he put it, say, since the world is but a dream anyway, let us dream all the more deeply. Avoid the philosophical implications here and briefly say yes. There's obviously our many worthy pursuits that might benefit from our communities and, and world more directly than our engagement with role-playing. But as long as English departments maintain that narrative and mythologies perform an essential function for humanity, then role-playing needs to be regarded as one form in that discourse. So see the antipathy that I've encountered in academia. And this almost certainly is an outgrowth of the disdain English departments for nearly nearly a century have had for the science fiction fantasy genres. But currently that has all but gone away, another indication that we are living in a golden age. I will close by pointing out that in my adult life, I have returned to role-playing each of the two times I have fathered children, a first family of three children who are now all but grown, and a second family of one just under two years ago. The returns might have been impelled by a sudden sense of morality brought on by my fatherhood and a desire to recover everything that I loved in my coming of age. They also might be related to C.S. Lewis' observation, whatever it might specifically mean, in his dedication to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We should suggest that people appreciate fairy tales as children and then in older age, not necessarily in the years between. Okay, one more thing about role playing with children. I wonder if anyone else out there has had the uncomfortable experience of killing a child's PC and having to deal with his or her tears before getting a chance to reintroduce the magical unicorn that resurrects the character. It might belong to a list of don'ts for role playing with children. I've made that mistake with three of my four children, but somehow still think it was good for them. A valuable life lesson. Well, thanks for your conversation, Brett and Sean. Until next time, Gabe. That was a good one, Gabe. Thanks, man. A lot of good stuff in there.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of good stuff in there. Thanks, Gabe. Um, man, writing. I I cannot. Who, did I, who was I listening to that was wanting to? Oh, Hans Cummings was on Jim McClure's Talking Tabletop. And if you don't know who Hans Cummings is, Hans has been on our show in bonus BS. He's one of the yep. event coordinators for EN world. Uh, one of the p- publisher relation folks, not event coordinator, but publisher relations and product mm-hmm. coordinators. <clears throat> and, uh, he's writes um, not as a full-time job, but he is published and he is a, he doesn't consider himself self published. He calls himself an author publisher, I think. Um, but the reason I bring him up is because, you know, writing is, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to write. I think I ha, I feel compelled to write a book, but I don't know if it would be science fiction fantasy necessarily. Or any good. Or any good. <laughs> which actually. is the thing that, which is,
1: that's the thing that stops me.
0: Well, it right. seems. I
1: feel, I feel a need, but I'm like, ugh.
0: Yeah. But there is, there's a lot of stuff out there that's not that good. I mean, how, true. right. Nowadays, the, like, even what Gabe alludes to where it's like, Golden Age of gaming. Whereas in the late '80s and early '90s, my stories as GM were fritted away, frittered away to an audience of three or four. These days, with the opportunity to blog, same thing with writing. Right, you can reach the masses if you want. Very true. That's very, a good point. Very easy. Um, but I, I can't say that I have any concept, concept. Like I don't partake in National Writing Month, which is November. I have no idea when people talk about word counts.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I get you.
0: Like, oh, it's a big number. That sounds like a lot.
1: I think, honestly, the part of the drive to write or be a writer or to even if all you want to do is dabble in it, one of the fun parts is that if that interest is there, even if it's just reading and think, oh, I could do better than this author, I'd like to mimic or pastiche this author or something along those lines. Uh, role-playing table is a perfect opportunity to start honing some of those skills and trying different narrative concepts and ideas and seeing what people, because people will immediately and viscerally react to a good or a bad idea or a so-so idea. You can see it on their face at the gaming table. So it's kind of cool. The other piece I wanted to call out was when we talked about gaming with kids, I have had both, um, AJ and Connor's characters die. Um, one of my favorite stories, um, so AJ was
0: eight shocker, shocker.
1: <laughs> AJ was like eight, and Connor. So this is like two years ago. <clears throat> so we're playing Redbox D anD D. Connor's got this dwarf, kickass dwarf. AJ's got a fighter. Connor's dwarf. They see this the pit trap at the bottom of the pit trap. They see some a shallow pool. It looks like in the bottom of it. Of course, they see the the glittering gold. Connor's like, that's it rope down there. I'm down. <clears throat> so he shimmies down the rope. He gets in there. It's a gray ooze. It's this nasty, horrible thing. It clings on Connor. He's like, oh, my God, I'm going to climb up. I'm going to climb up. I look at AJ and I say, AJ, what are you going to do? You can help him up? AJ looks at me and says, how far up is he? So he's about halfway up. It's about 50 feet. So he's about 25 feet up. AJ says, he's not bringing that crap up here. I cut the rope.
0: Oh, snap. <laughs> you didn't kill him. <laughs> no, his little, his little brother killed him. Oh, man. So that did, there was
1: a uh, bit of a fit. Um, we calmed down, made a new character, and moved on. Everyone got it. And AJ was kind of, well, obviously, if, if that would happen to me, that's what I would expect. And I don't know why Connor's so upset kind of attitude.
0: Well, well isn't that life? Later. Isn't that life, right? Uh, I mean, I, I feel that way. So therefore, you should feel that way. Until
1: uh, <laughs> a couple <of laughs> sections later, AJ's new character, new game. Um, we we're They wanted to play Osric, AD&D, so we got away from Redbox. We wanted to try something a little more complicated So we're doing that. A few months later, AJ's favorite dwarf, splat, dead, doornail dead. Uh, monster killed him, and he starts tearing up. He's crying because <laughs> this is his favorite character of all time. He's had, he can count on one hand the number of PCs he's ever played, right? Yeah. This is his favoriteest of favorites. This, this Dwarven Cleric, and he's dead. So it was about a half hour of pouting, sulking, and dad and Connor playing before A.J. went, okay, fine, I guess I can make a new character. And then he kinda came up and whipped up this. It was another cool dwarf, but it took a bit. It did take a bit. Um <laughs> one of the, I've talked to other gamers and like, oh you never, oh, you don't want to kill your kid's character. I'm like, no, that was that's that's okay. It's okay if it happens, you know, then it, it's a game. You know, it's it's okay, you know, but it was uh you do have to be prepared <laughs> that uh, that the kids might take a, uh, might take a exception to that. I, suppose, I still get the kick out of that story. I suppose. He's not bringing that up here. I cut the rope. That <laughs> is. In motion. He does the hand motion like the knife is slashing the rope down. And then Connor looks at him like, AJ. Sorry. that's That, that stuff's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was wow. it. Wow. Brutal. Yeah. So he's the, he's the guy that if you were in the foxhole cowering, he'd shoot you because that way you'd be, you know, he so you don't bother him in front of the enemy, apparently.
0: Well, if somebody took a hostage. <clears throat>
1: yes, he'd shoot right? the hostage. He'd shoot yeah. the
0: hostage in the leg just to impair the Yes. hostage taker. Yeah, Yeah, he would. All right. Nice. Episode 100, some comments. Forrest Gary writes, awesome episode. You're allowed to wax nostalgic every 100 episodes or so, guys. I especially liked hearing about your journeys to become the gamers you are today. I found that your stories struck a responsive chord in me as they reflected some of the things I went through from being introduced to the game a long time ago through a friend of my dad's. I'm also impressed that you could mix late 20 somethings and 10 year olds and get such a good rapport to my being away, mostly due to getting married, then starting to have kids to coming back by way of a friend in college. I spotted the old player's handbook on his shelf, and I was smitten by the gaming bug all over again and pretty much sticking with it since then. Your current attitudes reflect mine. This is what I love. This is what I do. If you can't accept that, piss off. I don't want to be your friend. On a similar note, I love gaming for the social aspect. Many of my friends online and off are gamers. Some of those that weren't initially are now because I corrupted their souls and sacrificed them to the gods of gaming. I make no apologies for this. In fact, say I, more victims, bring out the victims. I love Forrest. <laughs> <Yes.
1: laughs> Goddamn, that's good stuff. Thank you, Forrest. appreciate it, man. And we have Victor Riot. Congrats, guys. Also, Brett, if I were in your wife's position at that garage sale, I would have been tempted to counter the last price offer with sold 40. It is if they <laughs> comment about the game being kids, things riled me up more than I probably would have added. You really need to ap- appreciate your husband.
0: Ooh. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that
1: would have been. How are you? And, uh, it's kind of uh, Victor kind of channeled uh, my, uh, my wife, uh, Susan there. <laughs> that's something she totally would have done. I, I, I could, had she come back with that story, I wouldn't have doubted it either. Thank you, Wyatt. Wayne
0: Wayne Humphrey shares why he games, why we game. I started gaming around 1979 in eighth grade. I had a bunch of friends that were playing in a lunchtime campaign and I got them to let me in on it. It lasted one session or about 10 minutes. (laughs) Obviously, they used the gamer equivalent of bullying to hand my brand new first level character a scroll, which I read, and it teleported me miles into the air where I dropped to my death. Wow. What? This is horrible. That's like, yeah, you can play with us. I gotta, Watch this. I'm glad we got that in an email. I'm going to use that. <laughs> that's, that's good stuff, actually. Yeah, that's, that's good material. Uh, you'd think this would have dissuaded me from playing anymore, but luckily for me, another friend who was already playing invited me and another kid to play, It was a much better, more enjoyable experience. To me, it's been an outlet for my imagination, meeting new people and having loads of fun. Since I've been playing, I've met some of my best friends, actually got into the business of writing, and it has helped me become more outgoing. Gaming helped me quite... Uh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Gaming helped me have a built-in friend base since I've moved to Madison. Sean and Brett and quite a few others, like Eric and Forrest and Scott, Alvarado. I love gaming and can't see me not ever playing something. Congratulations on episode 100, guys. Thanks for all the hours of total BS. Thanks for everybody. Yeah. Thanks for sharing.
1: Yeah, Chris and Phil over on Misdirected Mark have uh, said congrats to us a couple times. So they thank did. you, gentlemen. I appreciate that.
0: There is other people that did. Oh, absolutely. Extend well wishes. Uh, very short. Congrats. Uh, keep it up. Uh, Matt Martinez was like an hour and forty-five minutes. Holy cow! What is this, Misdirected Mark? <laughs> hey, his words, <laughs> are not mine.
1: We're gonna go long. <laughs>
0: we're gonna go long. But it won't. It won't become a habit. We're not changing no. our format. So no, Matt, no, Matt no, said we'll, he's just kidding. He said that's fine. Yeah.
1: Still. It was fun.
0: Yes. Good times.
1: Very good. Shall we move
0: on? We shall. What are we talking about this week, Brett? Well,
1: a while back, the mongrel, pure mongrel, had a G-plus post out there. I'll have a link in the show notes to the post itself. However, I want to hit a couple of high points from it. That uh, something, obviously, what he put out there, like I have said before, a lot of the thoughts, concepts, and uh, observations that our listeners have made have given us some good material to think about and uh, to discuss on the show. Um, he started off with, I, I have ponder, I have a pondering for you guys in regards to game tempo and quality over quantity. I'm um, going to jump around here a little bit again, play on some of the high, high points as I see them. Understanding that each playing group is different. There's a general consensus that combat should be fast, prep time should be minimal, and GMs need to be... uh, adaptable, able to cater to a party's erratic decisions and random directions chosen. Are we in danger of diluting our craft, the GM's craft, those are my words, diluting our craft with this model? I mean by this, are we sacrificing storytelling and drama for speed and adaptability? The last piece I'm pulling out is I feel too much player agency leaves the GM herding cats. Combat Combat and encounters become too generic and GMing becomes a chore instead of a hobby. So, Jeez. um,
0: <laughs> no shit, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you go out there to the thread, this is from a little, a little bit of back, not too bad, not too far back, but Mongo put that up there and we had some really good uh, discourse from other listeners went back and forth and, um, Mongo could be a lot of fun on, on the boards. You'll say, get, throw some hyperbole out there. We all give them a little shit for it. But the nice thing is uh well-spoken gent as all the men and women who've listened to us and commented great insights. And, uh, I thought the conversation, in the thread was pretty cool. And I didn't want to read through that whole piece again, link in the notes. You guys can find it on our Google plus post, but Sean, um, you know, we, Sean and I like to joke, damn players, you know, we, we give, give them a little shit like that. But I guess I have said on this show multiple times and I said it to many people, I want my combat to be, you know, to paraphrase from Savage World's fast, furious fun. I want to go quick. I want to be able to <coughs> improvise, adapt, and overcome, you know, to borrow from the Marine Corps. I want to be able to do those types of things. And I think a lot of that comes from my style of gameplay is very improv. Everything is off the cuff for me. I have the Trail of Cthulhu game I tried to kick off this last week, Wednesday, until power went out of my house for, for some god-off reason. That, my house a number of miles around. Must have been that summoning Sean was trying to do. Anyhow, um, I have a spine. I have a concept. I have things that are probably going to happen in some very high-level notes or ideas in my head but I didn't really have a lot written down. The characters were generated. That was our session zero. And I just started ad-libbing through different things that could or should occur. Um, and based on what I was throwing at the players, Sean, Kevin, uh, Jim and Wayne were then jumping to that tune saying, Oh, this happened. I'm going to try this. Oh, this happened. I want to call that person. I want to do this thing. I want to see what happens over here. Um, they're moving on that stuff until, as I said, the power went out. Um, I like the gumshoe system because it is fast. It doesn't take a lot of work on my side from say one of the other people in the thread had talked about how uh, Pathfinder being a very incredibly popular game. And the other earlier, earlier <laughs> as in three and three, five and even four, uh, E editions of D and D very popular, but require, if you want to run them by the book, a lot of work, there can be a lot of work in those. Um, so anyway, Sean, just, I'm kind of rambling a bit there as is our won't, but what do you, what did this, uh, when you saw this, you're the, you're one of the guys that hit me with and said, Hey, Brett, we should maybe talk about this. What do you, what did you think when you read through this?
0: Well, first of all, I don't know. It isn't, um, hmm. the general consensus combat should be fast. Prep time should be minimal and GMs need to be adaptable. Um, and then the, obviously is that sacrificing, right? It's the storytelling, drama, blah, speed and economy. Yeah. So I don't think it, it necessarily has to be. So I think we're, we're saying yes, as a general overview, right? So PM is going into that kind of, I think that's our desire, right? That's what the kind of mantra is now. I mean, even Mani is trying to design games that are quicker and faster and you know, we're, our time is limited. So what can we do to incorporate things into the game that free up GM's time, whatever that is, uh, or whatever, whatever it is that is dragging it out, whether it's prep, maybe it's understanding the rules. Uh, like, what,
1: what can I do to make my prep time even faster and easier and less right. intrusive, obtrusive because it's in my face and I only have between getting to work teaching class taking care of the kids hanging out with my wife i have x amount of hours a week that i can do something i want to get the most bang for my buck in that time so how do i make sure that the game is giving me all i want but yet is isn't um incredibly cumbersome
0: well right but i don't know if every gm wants to do that i think there's game masters out there that are like man i'm gonna um, that's what I do every night. i I work on my stuff,
1: yeah, I think I think quite clearly, based on the popularity of d and d three three five, Pathfinder, um when people want to make balanced encounters, when people want to run um Pathfinder Society or any of the organized play stuff they read through the adventure, they sort things out, the prep work involved. <laughs> um, there are a lot of games that we talk about here, and it's it's goofy, I guess when you hang out in. The alpha gamer crowd. The folks listening to us, Mr. Mark. The guys listening to Ken and Robin. The folks that are on the Google Plus sites looking at stuff, checking out things, watching Kickstarters. Like, wow, this Dungeon World thing seems hot. Boy, this apocalypse world. Oh, this other thing. Oh, this thing. Oh, the Cypher system. Oh, this other thing Monty's doing. Um, when we talk about that stuff, there are, and Sean and I have mentioned this before, we both know a gamer that I work with now and he used to work with when, when Sean was back at, at, our, at my office who doesn't know of any other games. He plays Pathfinder. If he goes to a gaming store, he may peruse the fact that there's a different version of D&D. Oh, there's a five. Oh, neat. And he just kind of goes past it. He only plays Pathfinder. That's all he does. And there are a number of people that um, when I went to the uh, D.C. Everest, uh, the high school game club that is uh, one of the driving forces behind the original Evercon, there were a number of kids there that were just shocked to, to hear some of the game titles that I was throwing out there, hey, oh, you like that type of game? You should try X, Y, or Z. Like, what is that? Oh, Savage, what's that about? They were not engaged in it. They weren't involved in it. And so I think if you get somebody who is hooked on a certain type of game system, and that's what my buddy Nick, my buddy Nick loves Rollmaster. He and Zave are Rollmaster lovers. They love that game. Huge, hardcore. And uh, when they're going to play, they put a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of prep into that game because it requires it. And that's fine by them because that's what they want out of the game,
0: um, dude. It doesn't have to be about game system, though, man. That's true. That's a good point. I mean, that's, you know, you yeah, get that's these GMs that are like they're they're coming up with their entire world every night. They're coming up with their oh, their, their yeah. world, right? World building, campaign creation, plot twists. I mean, yes, they are having to dedicate to the rules, but I don't think that has to come into I mean, they're not rewriting maybe monsters, if they want to come up with their own, but if they've got a oh, system. I get what you're
1: saying. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So you've, say you've got system mastery, but then the prep for the game itself, the story, the plot, the adventures, the encounters, <clears throat> what yeah. does the module look like? What's, what, all the writing and design work that goes into that, the prep for there.
0: You got to construct the train, Exactly. You what gotta, kind of gauge tracks are we you running? Gotta Steam figure train. Out, yeah, you got to figure out where those tracks go.
1: Yeah, and if it's a high-speed, you know, light rail, I got to know where it stops. If it stops at all, I get it.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> That's right, man. <laughs> yeah, There we
1: go. There we go. Gotta
0: I'll know, tell you. Got to know where it's taking you.
1: I'll tell you, I mean, if, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, the books from Engine Publishing. Speaking of trains, Engine Publishing, um, where Phil Vecchione, um, uh, with the you know the focal point, the um, the rules light, the prepping stuff that he's written. God, no, the book is not in front of me, but um, shit, where is it? Hang on, we to find it. Gotta find it. There
0: which it which one?
1: <clears throat> not focal point. Never unprepared. Oh. never unprepared. Odyssey and focal point. You read through those right there. There now I'm happy. <clears throat> anyway, you you parse through those. You go through, you highlight, oh, I can do this to shorten it. I can do that to shorten it. I think the, hmm, I don't think our craft, I don't think the Game Master's skill, I don't think the gaming itself is being diluted. I think that we're not really sacrificing storytelling and drama for speed and adaptability. I think what we're trying to do is find the sweet spot. It's where the Venn diagram meets. I want that junction of low prep, quick adaptability, Um, I can roll with whatever's thrown at me because I don't have a lot of time. Or if I want to put time into it, I'm more than happy to do it. But I want to be able to find ways that if I don't have four hours every night or two hours every night before game time to do a bunch of work, I want to be able to have some tips and tricks in my repertoire that I can pull them out and say, hey, I can do this without having to do 40 hours worth of prep. And I want to be able to go quick. Um when necessary and, and and so forth. I think it's more a matter of adding more tools to the toolbox and being able to do it different ways when the when the time well as needed, I guess, is how I'm seeing it. Yeah. You don't agree? That was kind of a
0: <clears throat> Well, and and uh so I yes, I agree with the sweet spot. I think they're oh man. If it was the only thing I could do, or I, you know, I didn't have a day job. (laughs) Uh, But even then, I don't know how much, you know, dedicated time each night or each week I want to put towards a game in fleshing some of that stuff out. Because my fear is that if I dedicate way too much of time and effort, that I will, it will become tenuous it will become a pain in my arse
1: well and as we've joked before i mean sometimes we'll put a lot of work into something and then it seems like the players don't care or they don't get to it <clears throat> or they run roughshod over the the story or whatever is in front of you i think the other piece that this kind of i think what mongrel is talking about i think that some of it comes down to the herding of cats concept, in a real honest scenario, at least what I would consider a real honest example of this, where the players are, are actually, you know, the herding cats example works, where they're kind of going crazy. They're all over the place. There's a number of reasons such a thing could be occurring. They're bored. The story is not engaging to them. Um, they're allowed to make characters that can do whatever. Or you've got assholes at the table that don't want to play, um, that they think that's fun to break the game, to see what they can do to stump the game master. I've had players like that over the years that I've played with them, Sean, I'm sure you either encountered them in person or seen them before where it's fun for certain players. And I don't know why sadistic fuckers that they are to try to break your game. Right. Yeah. Have you ever had
0: that? Um, yeah, to some degree they'll do it in. Yeah. I've had one individual. I, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I used to encounter that more in high school where somebody would be mad at you for something or, or there's in a pissy mood, so they decided that they were going to, you know, do something, backstab somebody. Why? Because I feel like it. You know, they're just being, they're angry and they're acting out for whatever freaking reason. But I think that the sack what he's talking about when it comes to hurting cats and the a generic encounter and so forth, some of that does fall back on the fact that. It's never just been the game master's job, right? We set the stage. We put the pieces out. He or she, you know, Evangela's running for us, and she's set out this great set pieces and these really cool things. It's our job as players to engage with what, with what has been given to us. <clears throat> if you don't like what's been given to you, you don't do what the baby in the high chair does and scream that you don't like it and throw it on the floor, you know, or play with your food. You don't do that. You react to what you've got if you say, Well, gosh, this seems like a horrible no-win situation. I think we might have to back out, look for a different angle or or something. You can give game master cues. You can pass things to as a player to the game master and help that individual see that they need to do something a little bit different. I think when game masters feel like they're hurting cats is because the players aren't on board for one reason or another. I think that's more of the issue than it is the game than the game master's not failing. How do I do this? I don't think this I don't think that's, it's not supposed to be like that, is I guess where I'm coming to. I mean, if you're really having a good game, you shouldn't feel like you're hurting cats. It shouldn't feel like the players are just running roughshod over your well crafted something or other, whatever it is. You shouldn't have that feeling. If you've got a bunch of shitty players that are just being assholes to you, that's a different problem than if you, you know, uh, fuck! I'm, where the hell am I going with this? The, the issue to be adaptable and diluting, kind of diluting all the the stuff you put into it, trying to find you know minimal prep time and all this stuff to be able to deal with unruly players. That's a different. I think that's just a different problem. Maybe I'm misreading what Mongrel's talking about here, but that kind of that's what I thought when I read it. Sean's giving me a blank stare. <laughs> <laughs> That means that means I rambled far too far afield.
0: <laughs> no. I just so I think because I got a feeling I'm gonna beat beat his dead horse beyond recognition.
1: Oh, that's okay, do it.
0: So I think with the feeling the player agency piece. <clears throat> if you give them too much, it feels like hurting cats. Encounters become too generic. Jamming becomes a chore instead of a hobby. Part of the prep piece is if you prep way too much, you will be let down, I think, by what the players do. So th- that concept of prepping
1: for something and then you have an expectation that I will do X and Y will occur. Oh, why didn't happen?
0: Exactly. Okay. Now I'm all about that because I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. you Well, there's no choice. I mean, right. Yeah, exactly. But I think for other GMs that put way too much prep into it, that's where you get the kind of angry GM gamer, like zero charisma character. If you've not, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's a, The Nerdist put out Game uh, Zero Charisma. Yeah. It's a movie, right? It's got the guy who's living at home with mom, and he's still GMing, and he's got kind of a chip on his shoulder. And he's like the GM, right? Everything he says goes, and then he gets a new player at the table, and they kind of... Everybody likes the new player, and then he gets mad and jealous. But anyways, that's the plot of the show. But if you... Don't prep a ton and you let the players kind of run a little bit with what they want to do and how they want to do it. There's a couple things that happen. One, you don't have to put so much effort into herding cats. I don't think. I think PM does, right? I think if you, I think with his email and his message, if you don't do enough prep, then you got to herd the cats. But if you're herding the cats, you're trying to get them to go in a particular direction, which is your yes. which is your prep. So I think if you drew it out on a scale, right? One's get, if you do too much one way, it's going to tilt too far. Yeah. Then the other. So if you don't prep as much, let the players do their kind of thing, and you make it up on the fly, and it doesn't have to be everything. But I think as a GM, I think improv is some GMs do it better than others. Um, and if you want to know about improv, Engine Publishing put out, what is it, the improv book? Shoot, Phil's going to kill me. You're muted, dude. Um,
1: yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking, mumbling to myself, a camera, but it either. It's not
0: focal point.
1: No, it's not. It's not never unprepared either. There's an improv one. Oh, anyway, shit. carry on.
0: Anyways, it's uh, a bunch of different authors contribute to, to it. Yep. But having said that, if you are good at improv, and I think part, and that's another whole, that's a whole nother thing to talk about, Brett. Yes, it is. But um, if you just describe. Un, un, unframed. Unframed. As people are jumping out of their chairs going, <laughs> unframed, unframed.
1: Someone's driving to work screaming at their I, at their I know,
0: because that's what I do when they're like, and I'm like, duh, it's this, you freaking dopes. Um, unframed. Yeah. Tips on how to Improv and be a better game master by engine publishing, get it at your local friendly game store or order online. Blah, blah, blah. You're welcome, Phil. But I think that if you do that, it's funny how much the players will enjoy the game. (coughs) The other thing is that player agency, sometimes
1: people believe that I well, what I've seen people talk about and what it leads me to believe that they believe Is that? And I'm not saying mongrels in this camp, but sometimes folks have a feeling. I know I used to feel this. Like, well, if I let the players do all this stuff, then they'll just do whatever they want. I'm going to be running around like a chicken. My heck! I can't control this. Oh my my god!
0: That is true. That's why you got to get them on the freaking tracks and make them make it look like they know They're calling the shots.
1: And if it's not a train, it's the other pieces that there are boundaries, right? Um, You can pretty much do whatever you want on a football field up to the rules of football, American style football. You can run a flea flicker play. You can run a Statue of Liberty. You can run some crazy dime formation. You can run a nickel that you can do this. You get all this crazy shit.
0: So for all our like two foreign listeners, they're just, it's like completely out the window now. <laughs> flea flicker. Oh, well. Statue of Liberty. What the hell is that? What nickel, the hell is that dime, be? what? If you want to, you can, you can be creative within
1: the, within the zone, within the pieces, right? Not only the rules of play, but also just in the space you're given and the role that everybody has, you've got a, you know, a quarterback, a tight end, the center and lineman and all these different pieces. Any sport has these. So if you take a similar piece to your gaming world, um, with trailer Cthulhu, I, we sat down to make characters for, for session zero. And we said, Hey guys, I said, okay, it's the 1930s. It's, um, and Kevin says, what time after 1930s prohibition? I said, Nope, it's after prohibition, about a year after. Okay. Okay. 34. We got that. Um, Location. Well, I'm looking for mid to west. I was thinking kind of a bigger city. We talked about it, Chicago. We land in Chicago. Great. It'll take place in Chicago. Um, I, The one piece I came in with that I mandated, I said, I need a connection to this hospital. Why the hospital? Well, it's part of the plot. It's part of the story I've gotten in, in line here. So let's see who's all connected how. Sean was the only person who didn't have a, he was not employed by or working at the hospital. But a good friend of his is from the hospital. They meet regularly, so he has his character has a, a strong connection to the hospital, and a reason for me to make Sean deal with whatever I'm going to do at the hospital. Great. So within that, within So those
0: Brett made me: I made him. Made me become a friend of associate that it works out of the hospital. See exactly. perfect example, railroad me, Brett. Well, well done.
1: I, I, you were having fun.:
0: That's right. I look, like the you look scenery.
1: Like. You look like it. <laughs> Some people are
0: arguing like this isn't railroading, whatever.
1: <laughs> but the other point then is that – so the, the action starts to happen. Things are rolling. And uh, anyways, before blah, – blah, blah, oh, character gen. So the other piece is uh, um, they said, well, what, what type of uh, professions don't make sense for us? Well, I said, well, if you want piloting, I guess we talked about options, how that could work into what was going on. And we settled on a uh, newspaper reporter. We've got a scientist. We have an alienist. Uh, basically a psychotherapist and uh, a criminal <clears throat> and all those things are playing perfectly well and the players had the agency to pick whatever they wanted to and they said well if you're going to do that it would fit in these multiple ways so you come up with boundaries um kind of the yes and or the no but type of answers to everything and then we're off and running and sean did a similar thing with the uh, uh, edge of the empire stuff. I'm like, okay, I don't know what I want to do. So I'm like, I want to play this kind of character. We need someone with guns. We need this. We need this. I'll like, I'll be a mechanic. We don't have one. Where are you from? Well, it's edge of the empire. Everybody needs to have this type of connection. You're all on the chimera. You're all here. So there's a boundary. And when I first heard the phrase player agency, it felt to me like an infringement on my role as game master. But the more I've dealt with it and the more I realized what it allows to happen and so forth, is basically a way for the players to provide immediate feedback into what's going on with them and everything else around them. And um, it does not give the player carte blanche to be a dick and just stomp all over the game and everything that that it is that you and the other players are trying to accomplish. So if that is happening, the concept of too much player agency to me, the only way that there's too much is if the player or players in question are being assholes about it. They're using it as some sort of a club to hit the game master with saying, no, you're taking away my agency. No, I'm, you, you're making me do something I don't want to do. Well, no, the parameters of the game are it's a Call of Cthulhu-style adventure. I want to be an astronaut. You can't be an astronaut. It doesn't work in 1930s America. There's, there's no astronaut from the space shuttle program. But that's what I want. You can't take away me. oh, my God. That's not agency. That's just an asshole player. That's a different problem.
0: Well, unless they're playing a crazy player character. Well, then they better describe that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Tell me how that. you're going
0: to get to the moon or space or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously. you. I'm get- going to go to NASA.
0: Okay, uh, great. We'll get to you in like 20 sessions.
1: Yes. <laughs> anyway, I think, I don't think that game mastering really becomes a chore anymore now than it did, uh, did back in the beginning. I think if the gaming – if game mastering, whatever level of prep you're doing, whatever level of engagement you have is play um, – at play becomes a chore for you, then you need to kind of rethink. Maybe you need a break. We've talked about that before. You know, Maybe you need to get behind – in front of the screen and play for a while. Maybe you need to not run a game for a week or two and, and let yourself recharge or something. But I don't – at this point, I don't feel that by – including more from my players or doing those, things. a lot of that stuff I found that I was doing anyway. I just didn't, wasn't using the term player agency. It doesn't make the game a chore. It just changes, um, gives me another tool in my toolbox that I can use, you know, instead of having to come up with everything for the world, as you said, Sean, a game master trying to create everything, every session all the time. I can say, Sean, what's the name of your friend who works at the hospital? You had to come up with a name. I wrote it down. I now have that detail. What's the name of the crime family you belong to? Jim came up with something. Hey, what's you work for the Chicago Tribune? Yeah, I work for the Chicago Tribune, says Wayne. Okay, great. We figured that out together. Kevin, where do you work? Why are you working there? What do you do for a living? He he explained all that stuff for me. I didn't have to come up with that. I didn't have to tell him everything about the way the secretaries operate and everything in the hospital. Not needed. Less work for me to do, and I trust that Kevin – has enough agency as a player that if he needs to do something within the bounds, he may say, well, I, I figure what I'll do is I'll call, uh, I'll pick up the phone, call down to the front desk. Cause I'm sure we have an, inter, uh, an intercom system, blah, you know, he'll who, come up with something and we'll address it. If they say, well, actually that wouldn't be the case. You'd have to do something slightly different. If we have a bit of a back and forth, that's fine. There's no less work there. I think is actually less work and easier at play than it would be for me to try to build everything all the time. I think that's, then it becomes a chore for me. I don't want to do that.
0: I think if you get, however you prep as a game master, heavy or light, if you don't give players an element or a piece of the game where they can invest somehow, like what they're going to do has some relevancy or they can kind of dictate something, uh, within the boundaries of the game, right? Like you mentioned, the I want to go to space. It's 1930. You know, whatever. But if you give them like, like you mentioned to me, you pointed out that an example with me having some re- relationship with somebody at the hospital. Now I ha- I have some type of vestment, even though it's maybe been delegated. Yeah, and or dictated, I guess. I guess it depends on how you look at it, but if you don't, I think the problem with the erratic player piece that he's kind of mentioning and getting in random directions, is you got to keep. I think you got to keep it a reasonable. That give players a reasonable amount of choices. If you get them too much, then they're they're going to go off the deep end. But if you also got to get them invested into what you're doing. So they can go in a particular direction. I think we've touched on this before, where it's like sandboxes. Yeah, great, but if they're way sandboxy and you don't give them anything, I mean, what's the what direction is it that you're going to give them at all? Like they'll be like, "Where am I? Okay, I'm in a town square. What do you do?" Yeah, oh, I don't know. If you're really, if you're really <laughs> good at, if you're really good at
1: improvising, and you do a sandbox with the analogy of you know a dozen plastic dinosaurs buried within the sandbox, this one goes, "Oh, a Triceratops. I don't like those. Oh, a T Rex. Oh, I like the T Rex." And you make a T Rex adventure based on that. Right. Or someone says you're in the town square. What do you do? Well, I'm going to go in the tavern. I'm looking for my lost brother. Okay, you're looking for your lost brother. Great. I can work with that. And boom, boom, boom. We can improv something and go. Not everybody wants the game that way or has the skills or desire to, for whatever reason, to do that, and maybe the game system you're playing isn't designed like that, and that's not what
0: you want to do. Well, and some but players don't even do that. Like, No, I, they don't. I'm in a town square. What do I do? Uh, what I don't know. What can I do? Uh, oh, I guess so, I'll just sit here. Okay, yeah, exactly. great. Yeah, yeah. It was super awesome.
1: So then the player gets bored, pissed off, and does something erratic, like, you know, hacks down a bum just because he wants a combat. He's bored, so he, you know, kills a beggar and fights the town guard and you know, gets arrested and craziness ensues. If that's fun for you and your group, bully for you. Right. But most times if I throw that out there, people are going to give me an option. Okay. You're in the town square. You're here for, why would you be in this town, Sean? Oh, I'm here. I'm in Chicago because I'm a professor here. I'm a, I'm a professor at the university of Chicago. Great. Um, why are you having lunch with this guy? Well, he's a friend of mine. We went to school together. We're colleagues for a very long time. Good. We have that. I can do a thing now with that. I can improv that component, of that doctor becoming violently ill at the lunch table and you getting drug in an ambulance back to the Chicago hospital. Great. I've thrust you into a chain of action. I've got the, um, the newsboy witnesses the craziness at the hospital. He shows up trying to get a big story. So he's grasping his straws, trying to pull details, distracting people while other things are happening. This is great. Shit's going down. Um, but I gave, Why are you doing a thing? Why would you be in this town? And if somebody looks at me and goes, well, uh, you could be here for this, 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 or this. Well, here's some options I've come up with. Um, That's the collaboration piece. I mean, agency does not mean sitting back, nor does over-prepping, or I should say not prepping, but over-prepping. But just the Game Master isn't required to say, here are the three options you have, and that's it, because that's railroading. Here's some options, or do you have other ones? Um, And I... So I don't think it's diluting our skills. I don't think it's um sacrificing one for another. I don't think that's I don't think that dichotomy is happening there. I think it's just um I think it comes down to quality of play. If you have players from and Mongo can correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you have players that are not in it, that are being disruptive or destructive, or if you have a game master who um is disruptive or destructive, either by letting you do whatever and then getting pissed off that you can do whatever, or by you know, grabbing you by the throat and pinning you up against the plot and there's nothing you can do, but that thing that's not effective either. So I don't know. It's just the, the, I actually, I encourage people to go out to the link in the show notes and read through the, read through the discussion there. It's interesting if nothing else, just to see what other people have to say about it. And I think Monroe was, he was very open to other people coming back with different ideas or concepts. And I think the Game Masters today, um, with the newer game systems or styles of play and so forth, trying to help us prep lighter and be more adaptable, uh, asking questions, leaving blanks and filling them in, as Dungeon World would say, is more overt now than it was in the, in the past. In the past, that type of a tip wouldn't be a game mechanic, wouldn't be something it was told to in the game system. That was something you would read in a Dragon Magazine article or your buddy would tell you at a con, hey, you know what I did? Here's a tip I I learned. I tried this thing. And my players just fucking ate it up, man. I left these blanks. And I let them draw out the map and I let them do these things. That's how we learned a lot of those things. Um, Now, if Sean reads a, a book and says, hey, here's a really good way to make kick-ass chase scenes and sets it up and runs it, it's basically – the game. The game designers have taken the tips and tricks to help you play the game and laid them out there, much more black and white for us to use. In some of those cases,
0: yeah, quality over quantity. I guess it's kind of relative in some respects, um, because you yep. could you could run a powered by apocalypse, and it's it is a different. W- if you take two games like Powered by Apocalypse Game, or Apocalypse World for that matter, and compared it to D&D 5e, it's just different. And those differences, I mean, there is an encouragement of not overly prepping because it's going to be part of the narrative and it's going to be driven by some of the players anyways. I don't think it's as intensive on the GM, but that doesn't lower the quality of the game. Now there are going to be some players that don't appreciate one over the other as much because it's just a a preference and style of play and all that other stuff familiar with the rules. And, you know, maybe they like, they don't like the narrative as much as people that play powered by the apocalypse games. And that's all right, but uh, it's, it's good stuff. I like, I like the whole inquiry. I know where he's coming from and, and kind of what he's kind of scratching his head at. And I totally get it. But I don't think you have to sacrifice. I mean, just because you're, you're kind of leading towards the quicker prep, be adaptable. It doesn't mean that by doing that, it's going to lower the quality of the game or your players are going to go and run rough shot off over you and go in different directions mm. and you're going to be like, your game's a big shit storm. I don't, I don't think it has to be that way, but the thing is the minute I say that you've got, you know, a knucklehead in your game that is just being a knucklehead. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what they do. Cause yeah, maybe that's exactly. just, they do that and it may be that they're not even intentionally doing it. They just may be that person in the town square, not knowing what to do. Because they've been so used, so you're going to get player dynamics, right? You're going to get one player that loves that stuff, and they're going to feed you everything you want. And then on the other end of the scale, you're going to get somebody that's in the middle of the town square, and you're going to go, okay, you see this, this, and that. And they're going to go, okay, well, what do you do? Uh, I don't know. Great, dude, you're killing, <laughs> yeah, you're 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 killing just, me you're over here. You're sucking the air out of here. You're yeah.
1: sucking the air out of the room, dude
0: right, but where where some people are like, Okay, you are in an end, you see a guy, he comes over, he slips you a note. I mean, it's like, okay, like you just they want everything fed to them.
1: yeah, they do, and I think that's part of as the game master and as is table dynamics, understanding that Sean'll do whatever, he'll follow whatever Kevin does. I know Kevin will make up whatever he needs to on the fly, and that's great um. When Brett's playing, um, he doesn't care as long as he gets to punch shit in the face. And when Ange is here, as long as she can find magical stuff, that's we're good. Okay, I guess that's what we have to – that's what I have to deal with. And when you have new players, that's where we've talked about the Session Zero concept before. That's where sometimes those, those pieces come in. What do you want out of the game? Asking people those things.
0: And – I literally I literally put down a pencil and my finger brushed up against the soundboard. I'm like, where I didn't even know where that was coming from. What the hell? Yeah, freak me out. <laughs> Sorry about I that. Think
1: that's okay. I think the um the dynamics of the players, the game master, what you want out of the game, all this shit uh, plays a part. And I do believe what you're saying is it's not one or the other, and there's always a sacrifice because it's a compromise event. This game system, we're running whatever it is in an RPG is a compromise between game master and players because the players have certain things they want. The game master has certain things that he or she wants. And if she wants to be able to take the game in a certain direction for the story and the players along the way, want to make sure that they get to punch shit in the face and the game master's like, yes, I will let you punch shit in the face. But she tells you, I also want to make sure that, you know, there's these other aspects in it. We have to be able to give and, and, uh, the compromise and all those different components. So anyway, I, Kind of a and a kind of ranty ramble as as we do here at gaming and bs. But uh again, check out the link. I think it was interesting. And um I think that's about it, Sean. Got anything else?
0: No, let's put a freaking bullet in this horse. Let's do, do it. it. All right, let's get into die roll. Die roll two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you. Brett's got a couple, I've got three. Got a couple from listeners. Brett, as always.
1: I shall go first. Kenny Baker has died. He passed away at age 83. I know. Kenny Baker, in case you do not know who he was, he was R2-D2 in the original Star Wars movies. So, kind of unfortunate. Um, Link in the show notes. That made its rounds on Google Plus and a few other places. But, in case you hadn't seen it, and if you were a Star Wars fan, um, it's a sad day for that. Oh, another one, I didn't have the link out there, but Glenn Yarborough, a folk singer who is uh, in gaming geek world, best known for being the uh, the minstrel and doing the voices in the Rankin and Bass Hobbit and Return of the King cartoons. Uh, he passed away, I believe, this last weekend, or not that long ago anyway. And that was making its rounds on the social medias as well. And finally, um, an Earth-like planet discovered... Link in the show notes, there is uh universe uh, com had an Earth like planet around Proxima Centauri has been discovered. So, kind of cool. It's one of those pieces when I see this type of thing. I think about games like um Numenera, and when Sean has talked about like the hex crawl, and if you take a hex crawl out into space, you're like, Hey, we discovered a new thing. Guess what? You guys. We'll give you another chance. You can either go to space jail or go to a new space planet. You know I mean? Just, there's some really cool opportunities there. And I think, um, those, if nothing else, just from a raw science geek perspective, that's pretty freaking cool too.
0: I think it's only four light years away.
1: Only. It's like a day trip. Yeah, man. The way my wife drives. Anyway, (laughs) Sean, over to you, sir.
0: Underworld lore, dungeon disappearances table. D 100 reasons why your character is not there. What?
1: Yeah. So this is when the player can't make the game.
0: I believe so.
1: You know, sometimes you're in the middle of a dungeon delve when the end of the session comes, you know, how sometimes you try you might can't arrange Yep, players missing. Bam. Ah, uh, get it.
0: Name a couple there, Brett.
1: Um, what was it? Uh back strain. Can't be there due to strain. Accidentally frozen in magical ice by wizard uh by Wixard the Wise turns into a hat. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Out of dungeon diarrhea. Came upon him so quickly and powerfully that he was forced to flee to the nearest latrine.
0: These are uh Yeah, Dun- back
1: strain, that's good.
0: Dungeon diarrhea.
1: Yeah. Bored with the dungeon, unwilling to continue. Call me when you find something good, he says.
0: Yeah, there you go. Some uh Creative ways, or reasons, I should say. Ate bad pork rind. Took sick to bed roll. There you go. There we go. There you go. Very good. Uh, number two, Polyhedral Dungeon released, which is an ultralight modern take on old school role playing by Jason Paul McCartan. If you don't know who JPM is, he's known as the Badger. I didn't know. If you go to his website, there's a couple pups I think he's done. But this is a game you can check out. It's like old school, like he says, ultra-light ultra, ultra light modern take on old school role-playing. So cool. I know Tanker and the Badger had their own podcast at one point, uh, OSR-ish. Um, I don't know if they're still doing the podcast, but yeah, check out this pub. It looks kind of uh, interesting, this game. Uh, number three, wizard-filled quests of D&D empower Prince Rupert. BC girls or British Columbia girls. So, this is an article um, that is making its rounds where I believe it's a teacher. Um, British Columbia is kind of doing role playing games, and a majority of the players are young girls. And he goes to state how girls are, young girls are better players than the boys. Uh, but I thought it was a good article just to see the youth. Somebody is, you know, being a teacher, using role playing games, and definitely could use um, some young ladies getting into the hobby for sure. It's good stuff. I like that. Yeah, so yeah. it's a good it's a good article. It's another a good PR piece for the industry. I think is the absolutely in the, for the hobby. Yep.
1: Speaking of that one, um, one of our listeners, Kevin Lovecraft, called out an article about RPGs in the classroom. Yes,
0: I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't the same <laughs> one.
1: Yep, this is a saving throw, uh, saving throw dot saving throws how dot com, table top in classroom how I used RPGs to teach, so that's a that's another good article. There's I mean, it's a really cool this hobby. We talked about this in episode one hundred and we've alluded to it constantly. It's a kick-ass hobby. It's so creative. It's such a great way to go. And there's a lot of really cool things you can do with it. So check that one out. Thank you, Kevin, for pointing that out to us. And Shane Freeman pointed out mysterious magic magical spells unearthed by archaeologists in Siberia. Inscriptions
0: is it, is etched it's upon si- tiny rolls Is it Siberia gold. or Serbia?
1: Serbia. Serbia. My bad. My mispronunciation. Are you sure? Positive. I'm okay. looking at it right now. Serbia. I, I gotcha. Inscriptions etched into tiny rolls of gold and silver found alongside skeletons of people buried almost 2,000 years ago. Reading said scrolls of magic, obviously nothing bad can happen. So I'm sure we'll be fine.
0: That's right. Could possibly go wrong. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, so wraps, that's up. It, man. that wraps up uh, another episode, 101. Cuz it's like the basics.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we've we've crossed into 101 territory. We've crossed we're triple digits now, man. Ooh.
0: Now, hope I don't break anything. <laughs> yeah and uh if we could ask uh the individual listener if they could help us what would we ask them, Brett?
1: i would say you know what tell your friends tell your uh tell your gamer buddies tell people who aren't gamers um if they want tell, to know hey, what. tell your
0: mom do. and dad yeah hell yeah right they love everybody say mom dad yeah check out these two guys they'd be like why <laughs>
1: they're morons just listen to them yeah just listen to them they're idiots isn't this great but tell someone about the show. That's the best thing for us, right? I mean, um, we have a Patreon going, as we've talked about before. That's great. We've got some very generous listeners out there, and thank you to all of you. Um, but just spreading the word is just awesome. So uh, tell someone about the show if you would. That would be great.
0: Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Next week, what are we talking about, Brett? I'm not sure. I've got a couple of
1: different ideas in the hopper. I'm uh, going to run a couple past Sean. I'm thinking of either talking, I'm picking one of the uh, game systems that he and I have been uh, perusing lately. I just got a hold of the cipher system core rules myself. So I don't know if we'll get through that in time. might pick something else or uh, might dig into something. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what
0: happens. Mystery. Who knows? It's like mystery meat. Kind of. You never know what you're going to bite into.
1: <laughs> Very true.
0: Well, uh, on behalf of Gaming BS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.
0: This episode brought to you by patrons like Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest fans, Steve Day, Jeff Rodemaker, Forrest Aguirre, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele. Old school DM, Knights of the Night crew, Palladium, Jason the Beer Blaylock, Remy Belladoux, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Merkel Freilich, M- Wayne Lumrunner Humphrey, James Carpio, not Caprio, Mark Tosaka Tony Baker, not so pure mongrel, Lord Tentacle, and Brett Pazinski. Consider becoming a patron for the cost of a coffee shop coffee. You can support the show for an entire month.
1: Whoa.